Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Luke 2, 21 through 38. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Okay, so last week um, we began looking at the, or not began, we did look at the third of the angelic uh, proclamations of, that God used to announce the, the birth of Messiah. God was using ordinary people, um, sending them the message in order for them to be able to proclaim his message amongst others. And as they began to proclaim the message and as these things began to happen, there were rippling effects that, that occurred among all those who heard it. And so we've seen, um, as we come up through the, um, in those angelic announcements and such, the fulfillment of them, so like at the, the birth of and naming of John the Baptist, when the, the proclamation of Gabriel to, to Zechariah was fulfilled, everybody was filled with wonder at what was going on, and they wondered what manner of child that would be. And then again, now at the birth of Jesus, we saw again last week the angels coming to, to the shepherds, and the shepherds go and they see the baby, and immediately they want to what? Proclaim the message. And everybody they proclaimed the message to was filled with wonder as well. And so today, we're going to transition into the next phase, if you would, of Jesus' life 40 days later. 
Okay? Um, we saw in the very beginning of verse 21 that he was circumcised. But then we're going to get into this portion now where um, this is just kind of an introductory still because we're going to be talking about Simeon and Anna and their prophetic um, proclamations. And that's the next phase, this prophetic proclamation phase. But it's going to occur within this time frame where Joseph and Mary are fulfilling the law. Okay, that's the whole idea of this being told to us. This is important. Because Jesus had said that he didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law. Okay, and so Luke, being even whether he is a Jew or whether he is a Gentile, I'm leaning to the fact that he is a Gentile, and finds it important to make sure that we understand that Jesus is fulfilling all the things that were important for a Jewish individual to fulfill. On the eighth day, a Jewish son had to be circumcised. So we're told that on the eighth day he was circumcised. We're told in the law, in Leviticus chapter 12, that a woman, when she conceived and has born a male child, that she shall be unclean for seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of the child's foreskin shall be, un shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days, which means that she is then unclean for 40 days, okay? So at the end of the 40 days, she shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification, purification are fulfilled. That's 40 days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or for a daughter, that's where the dot, dot, dot is because it talked about it for the daughter. We didn't need that, right? Whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering in a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. That's where we begin to bring this part into. Joseph and Mary are coming to the temple in order to offer, not an offering, if you would, for Jesus, but for Mary. Okay, it's for her purification. Note, though, we're told that she only brings a what? What does she bring? Turtle dove, okay? Well, that's because Leviticus 5, it, it doesn't state it very clearly there in Leviticus 12, but Leviticus 5 says that if someone's not able to bring a lamb, then they shall bring to the Yahweh for the trespass, which they committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering and one other as a burnt offering. And so that God has in his laws that if somebody was too poor to offer a lamb, to be able to bring a lamb for their purification offering, that they could, in lieu of that, bring in a, a turtle dove, right? So what do we know about Joseph and Mary? They're poor, okay? That's important for us to realize. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm stressing the fact that God is using ordinary people, okay? And so he used a poor couple, okay? And so, um, again, I love um, Fiddler on the Roof. You know, you know I'm, I'm just a daughter of a poor milkman, you know, and da-da-da-da-da, you know. Well, Mary was now just the wife of a poor carpenter. Does it make sense? Okay. There was nothing special about them other than God was using them. God sent them an angel to proclaim his redemptive message. He was going to use them. Mary was a virgin, gave birth to a child in a way that nobody else could, a miraculous thing, right? God's doing this miraculous thing. So now they're going through the mundane. She has this miraculous baby. The shepherds come. There's all this excitement. We're now a month and a half into this. Have you ever had wonderful things happen and you get all this excitement and then you're a month and a half out from that? And all of a sudden, life what? Life goes on. It's a reality. You know, you, 
things happen, things move on, you hear this, you hear that, and all of a sudden it's like you're on that mountaintop, but now all of a sudden you're just kind of there. Well, now they're going the, the mundane. So now they got to do a what? They got to give an offering. So now they've got to travel to Jerusalem. So probably they stayed in Bethlehem, okay, um, during this time. And so the, the fact that they offered a turtle dove also is an indicator potentially, okay, when we consider timings and chronologies, okay, that probably the wise men, the magi, had not visited yet. Okay? How do you come up with that presumption? They didn't have the gold. They didn't have enough to, to, to pay for a lamb. The gold financed their trip to Egypt. That's right. They, right. No, well, so even here, um, there, there's the potential that the stable was actually the stable of a house. And so not really at an inn. The word for an inn was just a guest room. And so, um, but still, you're right, okay, from that perspective that there's these indicators that, that state that. So probably then they're coming, and then probably from here they go back to where? Bethlehem. Make sense? They're still not making the trip to Nazareth just yet. They're waiting for the baby to grow. or waiting for Mary to, to heal. Okay, and so they just head back to Bethlehem from here. Okay, so, so however it plays out, they come up from Bethlehem, six miles away. They come into Jerusalem. Now, I find this very, 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 very fascinating because in the next couple months, Herod's going to get wind because the, the, the wise men are going to come to where? Well, not necessarily to him. He's going to call for them. They're going to come where? Bethlehem. No, they're not going to, well, before they go to Bethlehem, where do they go? They go to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem. Where is the temple? Where is Mary and Joseph right now? In Jerusalem. They're right next to Herod. It's kind of fun. Anyways, I don't know if you ever thought about that process, but this is kind of fun how all those things tie together. They come to Jerusalem. He's already there. Jesus is already being presented at the temple. Make sense? Proclamations are going on. All these things are going on in Jerusalem, but Herod what? He misses them until the, the Magi show up. Isn't this kind of fun? Okay, so just kind of put that all together in your brain. This is kind of, you know, don't segmentize. Try to put it all together. It's kind of fun stuff, okay? So they're there in the temple. They're offering the, the sacrifice, and we're not told exactly when Simeon sees him, whether it's before the, the sacrifice or, or um the offering or after the offering, okay? But they're there in the temple, and Simeon sees them. And so we begin with Simeon's testimony. And it's a, it's a testimony, it's a proclamation um, of the revelation of redemption, okay? And so, um, which is really kind of fun for me, because Simeon, again, first thing we know about him is that he is waiting passionately for Jesus, okay? And we'll talk about in a moment why, okay? But he has this... Um, great anticipation, and so the word proskekomai uh, um, can be used to, to mean to welcome, but literally it means um, to take beforehand, to take beforehand. So you are receiving something before it, okay? So the idea is that you are receiving ahead of actually receiving. Simeon was so sure of the word that God had given him, that he counted it as a done deal. It was a done deal. He was just waiting for it to be fulfilled. Every day was a day of great anticipation. Is today the day that I'm going to receive? 
You put an order in on Amazon, something that you really, really want, right? Amazon now tells you it's going to come on Saturday. What happens Saturday morning? You have great anticipation because the package is coming from Amazon. And then all of a sudden they send you an email saying, sorry, um, things are a little bit, you know, it, 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 it's, it's going to be delayed. Sometimes they surprise you and it comes on Friday and you're like, oh, it took me by surprise. But there's this anticipation that we have that we're going to receive this, this thing. You may be that you have guests coming over, okay? And you're looking forward to your guests coming over. And so you know you've invited them to be there at 4 o'clock. And so right around 3.45, you know, you've spent the day getting prepared for them. But at 3.45, you're almost sitting on the couch waiting, looking at the driveway, you know. Are they, are they here yet? Or have they got here yet? I'm waiting for them to come. This is Simeon intensified though because Yahweh told him Yahweh told him that he was going to see the Holy Spirit came upon him right the Holy Spirit spoke to him the Holy Spirit led him the Holy Spirit let him know specifically let him know that he would not die until he literally physically saw the Messiah I'm going to go back to last week's message. And these guys called shepherds who were just really bottom-of-the-line people. And God sent an angel to speak to them. Do you remember we talked about the, the, the points of the message? They received the Word of God. Does anybody remember what the second point was? They received the Word of God. They, they, say again. Well, that was part of it. They, somebody heard it. They obeyed. They obeyed. So they went. You're right. That was their obedience. They received the word of God. They heard it, whichever, however you want to state that, right? And then they what? They obeyed. I think this is amazing because in order to do that, you have to then, as you said, Stephen, they have to believe. Simeon has to what? Believe. The Holy Spirit tells him, but Simeon has to what? He has to believe it. He's got to accept it. And he does. And because of that, then, the Holy Spirit is continuing then to, to lead him, right? The Holy Spirit came upon him, he spoke to him, and then he's going to guide him and lead him. And this day, Simeon happens to be in the temple. Now, we're not told, because when we get down to Anna, we're going to find out that she's, like, living almost in the temple, okay? And so we're not told that about Simeon, okay? But the Spirit leads him into the temple at this moment in order for him to see Messiah, because Messiah is coming to the temple this day. Don't you wonder whether Simeon understood the Holy Spirit that he would see the baby, the Messiah, as a baby? Or did he not know? Was he expecting sometimes of his life that he was expecting to see an adult? Was he expecting Messiah? Messiah, he's coming and he's going to deliver us from, from Rome. You know, did he have the same mindsets? We know what he's going to declare. We'll talk about that in a moment about redemption. And he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. So how much did, did Simeon understand in all these things about what God was going to do? We're not told. But there's a whole lot in there that I love to just to meditate upon. I love Simeon from the perspective of his anticipation. He received the word of God. He believed the word of God. And he was waiting for God to fulfill what he had promised. Are you? Are you?
Do you really believe God means what he says in his word? Do you really believe Jesus is coming back? Or have you gotten into the mindset of the world that Peter talks about it's going to be at the end times? Oh, where's the promise of his coming? We've heard about this. We've heard about that. And sadly, as we're talking about Sunday school with the secularization of our nation, but the secularization even of the church, that we tend to then to take on some of these things and we begin to think like the world and we begin to just kind of get caught up in the world and we, we do this and we do this and we're looking forward to, to going to Disney World or we're looking forward to going to Six Flags, or we're looking, but we're not necessarily looking forward to Jesus coming back. And if Jesus came back right now, it would inhibit, inhibit my daughter from getting married. No, Anna's not getting married. But you get where I'm going, okay? And so, I mean... We have seven kids, right? And so we've gone through this. And, and I understand, you teenagers, you're coming up through, you're saying, no, I don't want Jesus to come back right now. I want to be able to experience life as an adult. Now, I know you, you wouldn't necessarily say that out loud, okay? But there's a concept where that's there. It's like, wait, this would be unfair. I don't get to be married. I don't get to be... But all I can tell you is that whatever God's got for you is what? Oh, a lot better. When Jesus comes back, what's waiting for us on the other side is much better than what we could ever experience on the earth. But we get so caught up at looking at the world and wanting the world. And I want to see my grandkids, and I want to see my great-grandkids, and I want to see... Does it make sense? What I want to see is Jesus. Simeon's whole life was wrapped up into this anticipation. He's just waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. He wanted to see Jesus. And I have to ask myself, does that sum up my, my life's testimony? Is that what my life is all about? That I just want to see Jesus and then I want to make him known. So Simeon, first of all, his revelation that he received that he was going to see then um, Jesus. But then he then came as a result of that, and he began this proclamation, because now he sees Jesus, right? And he's just full of just great wonder and amazement as he comes in. In verse uh, so 27, So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. He's going to bless Mary in a second. You're going to question the blessing. But he, he blesses God, right? And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Could you imagine being Mary and Joseph walking into the temple? I'm going to assume that this happened prior to the, the, the offering. You're walking into the temple and this old man comes walking up Put this in today's day, right? And he wants to grab your baby. Mom, what you doing? <laughs> your hands off my baby. <laughs> but this old man comes in the temple, right? And he takes the baby and he holds up the baby and begins to glorify God. Now I can leave. Now I can depart in peace because my eyes have beheld your salvation. Could you imagine being somebody else in the temple? Watching this old man go up to somebody's baby and just crying out, Yahweh, now I can go in peace. You have revealed your salvation unto me. And he's holding up this baby, looking at it. And you're thinking, what's happening? Could you imagine if you were from Bethlehem? And you might have been there 40 days earlier when shepherds 
ran through the city? Isn't it kind of fun? Or did, did someone living in Bethlehem was your, your friend or your neighbor, and they, they told you about what happened down there, and now you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, there are strange things going on in, in my land right now. What do you do with it? What do you do with the guy who's down in the corner and he's, and he's got his, uh, his condemnation statement? You know, believe in Jesus or you're going to hell. Do you look down on him? He's a prophet of God in a sense at that moment. He's pro- boldly proclaiming. I was in uh, the, the, um, getting my tags the other day and as I was leaving, there was a, um, I say a younger man, but everybody's younger than me now, right? Um, it's amazing how as you get older, everybody's really young. And um, I rejoice in this. I do. I wish I had this boldness. I wish I had, I wish I had this chutzpah. He stops. Now, he waited until after he was at the counter. And he stops right in the middle of the, if you've ever been out there, Columbia County, right? With the, it's a big old open thing, right? He stops right in the middle and he faces everybody and says, and I'm going to butcher it, but paraphrase, that Jesus is real. You, you all are sinners, and, and, and if you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, you're going to die, and you're going to go to hell. And this is your message of, of, of redemption. Anyways, he said it better than I did. But, oh yeah, I mean, he gave, boom, the gospel right there. I rejoiced in the Lord as I was going on to my next government impo- uh, office thing that I had to go to. And, uh, and I thought to myself, oh God, I, I just don't have that boldness. I am so undone. Why don't I have the boldness to do that? But this guy had, clearly has a gift of prophecy, Makes sense, and I don't want to kind of sure, you know, reduce my blame, but <laughs> he has a gift, I don't. Anyways, but praise the Lord. I mean, but I wonder, you go into the mind of everybody and sitting in that room, what are they thinking? That's what's going on right now. Simeon is standing up publicly, and he's declaring the blessings of God, the redemption of God, and it's happening right now. Everybody's making the decision right now, everybody who's passing by. Is he a goofy old man? Is God bringing us a message? There is a prophetic proclamation going on in their midst. What are they going to do with it? Do you get it? Again, we've dumbed ourselves down. We've numbed everything. What if it happened in my lifetime? What if I was at the mall? A common open place. And God had a prophet standing there proclaiming his message. Again, what would I do with him? Simeon begins this proclamation regarding the fulfillment of the word of God. First of all, that he himself would see the Redeemer. What do you do with that, y'all? You've got a guy. Now, you don't know whether the Holy Spirit spoke to him. You weren't there. You weren't in his mind. But now you've got an individual who tells you that the Holy Spirit told them that they wouldn't die until they physically saw Messiah. Have you ever run into someone who's going to give you, tell you they heard the word of God, they heard God's voice? I've said that. I've, said, I've told you that. That I, I, I believe that God spoke to me in prayer. And I know I have people look at me like, Ooh, it's okay, I get it. I'm a cessationist. But I'm not putting God in a box cessationist. God can do whatever he wants to do in that. Does it make sense? And all I can do is tell you that it was my experience. Does it make sense? And I can tell you my experience of what happened to me when I was in Peru. But it's still just what? My experience. And you have to make the decision of what you think really happened. Does it make sense? I've got multiple of those times where I feel like God specifically really showed me 
his glory and spoke to me. I can't imagine. I mean, because I, I know the reactions I've had. I can't imagine these. So here's Simeon declaring to everybody, now I can depart in peace because what you have told me, what you have revealed to me, has occurred. And then he turns around and he makes this proclamation regarding the Gentiles. Not only that he would see this Redeemer, but now he says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring an unveiling revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. You've got an old Jewish man standing in the temple declaring Messiah, but that Messiah is coming to do what? Unveil the truth to who? The dogs. The Gentiles. Do you get what God's doing? Right from the get-go of his incarnate presence being on the earth, Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah, right from the get-go, God is letting us know through the, the angels and now through Simeon that this, this Messiah wouldn't just be a Messiah to the Jews, but he would be the Messiah for the whole world. That his purpose was not just bringing revelation to Israel, not just restoring the glory if you would, of Israel. But he was coming to bring a revelation even to you and me. This is exciting to me. Well, then this next part is this premonition then, this final part, this premonition to, to Mary. And I call it a premonition, not a blessing. Why? Because it's not necessarily positive if you're Mary receiving this, right? Because he says to her, he says, look, your child is meant for the to be the rise and fall of many in Israel and to be a sign which shall be spoken against. That's the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense that he was prophetically spoken to be, that he was coming to be when Messiah comes. He would be a, a rock of offense, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, that those who came to him would stumble over him. And so we're told, even for, um, for even Peter um, and the other disciples, that even when Jesus was arrested, they stumbled. They, 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 they fell away, okay? And so it was for everybody. Everybody's going to fall on Jesus. You know, when you either, you're going to make a decision when it comes to Jesus. Does it make sense? And that's exactly what he's saying. He's going to be there for the rise and fall of many in Israel, okay? Many are going to, are, are, so you got this, the, 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 um, the fishermen and, and the ones who are following Jesus who begin to rise. I mean, think about Peter. If it wasn't for Jesus, Peter would have been just what? A fisherman all of his life. He would have what? died as a fisherman. If he would have had kids, his kids would have been fishermen. But now you all know the name of who? Peter. And many people call him Saint Peter, right? And they name churches after him and basilicas after him and, and all this kind of stuff because of what Jesus did. But he was also there for the fall of many. Why? Because he would be the sign which would be spoken against. Anti, anti lego. Lego means I speak. Anti is against. I speak against, or I speak in place of, okay? In other words, and so there would be then, right from the get-go, that Jesus himself, his very being, would be the sign that everybody would be fighting against. Isn't it interesting that 2,000 years later, it's still anti-Lego. Jesus is still the sign which is anti-Lego. 
You can talk about Buddha. You can talk about Muhammad. You can talk about Allah. You can talk about God generically. But bring up the name Jesus, and it's anti-Lego. My, the, the guy who led me to the Lord, Woody, um, in, was my initial discipler, um, went into the Air Force as a chaplain. And one day he was, this is years ago, um, it was at um, Andrews Air Force Base, they do the big air show, and he was being asked to, be, to do the, the opening prayer. Um, I know they don't call it opening prayer, but whatever, the invocation or whatever. And so he went to the chief of chaplains there at the time, um, and he told him, he says, you need to understand that when I pray, I pray in Jesus' name. I don't want you to be taken by surprise by that. That's just who I am. This is my conviction. This is my sending church's conviction, and this is my sending agency's conviction. That, and this guy got livid at him, just totally livid at him. And, and I'm going to tell you the domination of him because you don't know the individual, but he was a Southern Baptist. Doesn't that just kind of boggle your brain? That Jesus, or that Jesus, that Woody said that he was going to pray in the name of Jesus. Everybody wants you to dumb down and not offend other people by using the name of Jesus. Isn't that something? You can use any name you want to, but you bring in Jesus' name, it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It'll cause a consternation amongst people. And so Simeon declares that all the way from his birth. This is how it's going to play out. And then the impact upon the mother. There's going to be pain. You're going to have pain. A sword's going to pierce your own soul. Why? That the dialogue of many hearts will be revealed. That the dialogue, the thoughts, the dialogue, literally it's dialogue. It's the, it's the Greek word dialogue. Bring that over. It's dialogue. There's a conversation. In your heart, you're having conversations. You have thought processes going on within you, right? And through, because of Jesus, those thoughts will become revealed. Because of what happened, if you would, even to Mary, those thoughts will be revealed. Just as Mary pondered things in her heart, we ponder things in our hearts. And so what was going to go on, Mary's pain, if you would, by watching her son, because you know even the, the, the sword will pierce even your own heart, literally it doesn't physically pierce our heart, but it did while she was watching what? The Roman soldiers pierced Jesus' heart. Okay, And so so in that whole pain, in that whole thing, through this process that you're going to go through, the trial that you're going to go through that no other woman has ever had to go through, and you've gone through trials, but you've never been the mother of God, if you would, the mother of, of the Messiah, and to watch this happen, right? And so through that pain, through your experience, the dialogue, the thoughts of many hearts will be uncovered. They'll be revealed. So again, I have to ask myself in this, what do I think about Jesus? What do I honestly think about Jesus? Not what I'm standing up here telling you. Because God knows my what? My heart. Now, honestly, from my perspective, I, I feel like I'm being consistent and genuine with what I'm teaching you. Does it make sense? But you ultimately don't know that. You might assume that, okay? But you can't know that because you don't really know my heart and you don't, you're not in my brain. I don't know what you guys are really thinking right now. There may be a whole lot of convoluted dialogues going on within your heart and your mind right now. Okay? I struggle with history. I mean, honestly, just recently, I was like, man, it is so hard for me sometimes dealing with the, the, 
that Jesus was around, okay? I mean, I accept all that, but creation is the greatest mooring for me. I look out, and I see that there has to be a creator God. Does that make sense? And if there's ever any, whoa, 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 you know, I can't deal with history, I can't, you know, that there was actually 2,000 years ago, and people were actually were doing these kind of things, you know, and those kind of things, I look back at creation, and I go, what? God's real. There's a creator. He has a plan. He's revealed it. And I go back to what truth is. And it's all there. Okay? And so I understand that even in Bob's brain, there's struggles and thought processes are going on. Okay? And so you're no different. I can share all those things because I know there's no troublesome situations overtaking me, but such is common to man. Right? So if I struggle with things, I know even believers struggle with things. There are times when we, we debate things and we analyze things and we're trying to twist things. We're trying to understand it. How is, how is Jesus talking to the Father? I mean, the Mormons tell you that all the time. The Jehovah's Witnesses want to tell you, well, who's Jesus talking to? If he and the Father are one, why is he talking? Well, I don't mean, that's, uh, you know, this Trinity thing, you know, uh, put it, you know, define it, put it in a box. I can't do it. And so my brain is always kind of spinning and, 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 and twisting and, and things like that. God knows all your thoughts and all your hearts. And in Christ, he's the one who causes it all to be. Does that make sense? Well, then you got Anna coming in, the proclamation of redemption, the testimony of her life. We don't have a lot of time, but it's very short. Um, she lived a redemptive life, right? She was considered to be a prophetess. How does that make you feel? Okay? Because we say, oh, that should only be a man. Well, she was considered to be a prophetess. A prophet is one who proclaims the word of God. So clearly she was what? She was worshiping and proclaiming the word of God to people as she saw them, okay? Um, so she stood in that light. Secondly, she was a daughter of Phanuel. This is one of the, I mean, I got lots of favorite stuff. This is, this is, this is one of the, my favorite data, like little factoids. This is too cool. Anna comes in, just as Simeon, Simeon has got this baby up and he's, he's praising God and he's saying, oh, now I can go, I can depart because my eyes have seen your salvation. Oh God, you're so good. And in comes Anna. You know, Anna sees Simeon, this old man. She doesn't take him as a, as a, a goof. She accepts exactly what happens. Why? Because she has been looking forward to this moment too. And she sees the baby and she accepts it. I wonder whether we're not told. Did she get to hold the baby? I think she did. She's an older woman. I mean, come on, you know, every, every, everybody wants to hold the baby, right? Especially women, they want to hold the baby. How can I hold the baby? <laughs> she was the daughter of Phanuel. Now, in the Hebrew, that's Penuel, and it literally means the face of God. Right now, the daughter of Penuel was looking at Penuel. Isn't that kind of cool? When she looked at Jesus, who was she looking at? God incarnate. Sorry. That's, that's a little tidbit. That's just kind of fun for me. I just kind of, every time I read that, I just kind of get fun. Now, she was at a minimum, no, I have it in parentheses, at minimum, okay, 84 years old, but she's between 84 and 103, and that's still just a minimum, because that's an assumption that I'm giving her at a young age of 12, okay, of that she was, that she was married at the age of 12, okay, she could have been married at 14, which would make her even older, potentially, or 16, or 17, or 18, right, but we know that she's only married for seven years, 
and then she becomes a widow. Now the question becomes, in the wording here, and it's hard to understand which way it is, is she 84 years old, or was she a widow for 84 years? If she's a widow for 84 years, and she was married at the age of 12, that means right now she's 103. Could you imagine? In those days, the days of man shall be 70, and if by strength, what? 80. And now you got this woman walking in the temple, and she's 103. Now, if we say, well, no, no, maybe she's 84 years old. Well, that means that she's been a widow at least 65 years, too. But 84 is still what? Old, beyond the, 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 what it would be. Does it make sense? And age at this time was respected. It wasn't cast down like it is today. Okay? And so for her now to come in and to declare as well who um, Jesus is, is a, is a major thing. Again, this is where I want to go back to that beginning where I was trying to paint the picture of what's all going on, and we're in Jerusalem, and there's Herod, and stuff like that. There's got to be a disturbance. I mean, it's, think about like the shepherds going around Bethlehem, putting out the message. There are multiple people. There's lots of people in the temple. Do you understand? This isn't escaping the notice of everybody. They're not like in the corner and, oh, God, I praise you, and you know, now I can depart in peace because, you know. And Anna comes in and says, she's going over the corners, oh, let me come over and I'll worship with you as well, you know. And um, no, there's, there's this rejoicing that's going on, and, and, and people are going to have to be seeing it. She was then, we're told, devoted to worshiping God. Latreo um, is, the, is the word to worship as an act of service, okay? And so we have a worship service, in a sense, okay? And so it's the idea is that we are serving God in some way with this worship, okay? Uh, but that's the word also then in Romans 12, 1, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. Latreo, service worship, okay? And so Paul in Romans 1.9 in verse 25 as well, Romans 1.9, he says that he worshiped or served God. And then he says that in verse 25, that people left the living and true God in order to latreo, things of creation, Okay, so the same word. She was devoted to God. She worshiped God, served God. Okay, and we're told night and day with what? With fastings. I want you to think about that. At the minimum, she's 84. And she's still what? Fasting. Okay, so there's a part where, again, I don't know what she's doing as far as her fast and stuff like that. But she is setting things aside in her devotion to God because she wants to be drawn closer and closer and closer to God. What I know about Simeon and Anna is there were two individuals that were waiting for God, that were seeking God, that were serving God. And then God revealed himself to them. And then her message, the testimony of her words. First, she spoke of Christ as the, the Redeemer, right? And so she gave thanks to Yahweh and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So she spoke of him, but she spoke to those who were looking for the redemption. Now, this is kind of stops in the tracks. Because again, remember I'm saying there's lots of people, right? And there's people are going to come in and they're going to look at what's going on and they're going to make a what? A decision. Those who were looking for redemption those who were looking for the fulfillment, it would have what? Caught their attention. 
those who were just going about their daily affairs and punching their tickets. It would have been an interruption, and they would try to bypass it in order to be able to exactly that, just strike. But get out of my path. I need to offer my offering, and I need to move on with my life. Make sense? I'm, I'm, it's just in, how do we, again, view these miraculous interruptions that God gives us in our life? Am I willing to receive them? Am I willing to accept them? Am I willing to rejoice in them? Or do I begin to judge? No, God doesn't work that way. God doesn't, you know, this is my theology and it, it can't happen this way and so now I'm going to move on. And I understand, Jesus said in the end times, be careful with the, those who are the Antichrist and the false prophets because they're going to be able to do signs and wonders and some of them are going to be great signs and wonders and so much more that, that if it was possible to be able to deceive even the very elect. But I think we, we fall behind that. We hide behind those verses, okay? And we're afraid that anything, that God can do anything. But don't put God in his what? His box. Now, I'm not saying become a charismatic and, and a Pentecostal or whatever you want to say and going that, to that route. That's not where I'm going. But let God be God. And as we move closer and closer to the end times, to the time of Christ's return, we're told that some of these things are going to return. That your old men are going to what? Dream dreams. Your young men are beginning to prophesy. These things are going to begin to come to pass. Will we be like the Jews in Jesus' day who rejected it all? Again, this morning, my quiet time, I'm at the part where he goes before the Sanhedrin. Tell us plainly if you are the Christ, the Son of God. It is as you said. And from henceforth, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the power. Blaspheme! Kill him! You asked. He gave you the answer. You just didn't what? You didn't want the answer. Isn't that sad? Again, think about all these things we're going through, and now we're just at Jesus being 40 days old that are proclaiming who he is. And the religious leaders reject him. So in the end, oh, wait, I want to go back. I had Titus 2 because it comes up, because I want you to see that, because that's what it's talking about, the, the coming, the, the looking forward, Titus 2, 11 to 14, the looking forward to the return of Christ again. That's why he comes, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to where all men again, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for, that's the same word that's used there about um, Simeon and Anna and, and the others who are looking toward the redemption that we then are, should be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself uh, for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus is coming again. And Paul says that we will only live for him if we are anticipating him coming, if we're looking for him. Those who are looking for him those who are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior are going to do these things. So, again then, final questions. There are those who are looking for redemption and those who are not. Which are you? Are you looking forward to the redemption of God or not? What is the theme and testimony of your life and message? Is it the redemption of Christ? What am I most likely to talk about? What do I, what do I like to talk about the most? What do you like to talk about the most? Is it the redemption of Christ? 
in what he's done for you? Are you looking for the second coming of Christ? I talked to someone today and they were like, do you mean for or forward to? I mean for. Are you looking for it? Do you think it's going to happen today? Do you think it's going to happen in your lifetime? Ah, probably not. It's sad. It, you need to be thinking Jesus is coming today. Because if you think Jesus is coming today, it's going to change your life. Because now all of a sudden you're going to start living for him. Who wants to get caught watching the wrong stuff? Who wants to get caught being in the wrong place? Who wants to get caught listening to the wrong things? Who wants to get caught reading the wrong stuff? Does that make sense? So if you have a love for him, you have a desire for all these things, and you want him to come back. And so you're looking forward to him. So are you looking forward to the second coming as Anna and Simeon were looking for his first coming? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you came to this earth, Jesus, that you came in order to redeem us from our sins. Lord, I can't, I spit that out very quickly, but I can't even comprehend the vastness of that statement. That you who formed the heavens and the earth placed yourself within the womb of a virgin. You humbled yourself. You emptied yourself. It came in the likeness and form of a man. Through the whole process of, of growing and learning and, 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 and living in order that you might serve me. In order that you might pay the penalty of my sins. And those are the sins of the whole world, Lord. And I'm so grateful for that. Lord, I, I do ask that you would help me and these others to truly, honestly, offer ourselves up as living sacrifices to you. Lord, that we would live a devoted life, that we would live a life that is set apart to you, that we would be those who are looking forward to the, the second coming of Christ, that our lives would be so different than those around us that others would look to us and wonder what it is that we have. Lord, help us to to live transformed lives, not by our own power, not by our own grace, not by our own prowess, by that which you have, have afforded us, Lord, that we may honor and glorify you in Christ's name. Amen.